It's basketball season and we've got you covered. The Ringer NBA show breaks down the latest and greatest around the league five days a week. Check out the Ringer NBA show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Do you know what? Do you know what? (laughs) (laughs) There he is. There's your intro. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast and Ring RC. I'm Usuk Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? Uh, I'm all right, man. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. I'm tired. I'm, I'm tired. Are you, are you finally wearing, wearing out? I am. Wow. I am, you know. This is how mad football's been this season. You've even broken up, Kwonga. There's just no recovery time. I think there's no recovery time. <laughs> there's literally been no... Obviously, I've got you know other commitments work-wise, but... Yeah. There was a period. Yeah. You, you, yeah. What did you do? Are you write some books? <laughs> I don't have to talk about it. There were two nights this week where I had my first meal of the day after 9pm. Poor time management. There's no natural break in the day for food. You need there to look no after yourself, break. man. You're not used to anyone if you're, uh, if you're not eating. This was the first week where I just thought, I don't have time to execute everything to the best of my ability. And that's really? just, yeah, it frustrates me a bit. First time? Yes, actually. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Do you know what? Do you know what? <laughs> there he is. There's your intro. <laughs> oh, Don't forget me after midnight. Grimly. I had my first meal of the day after midnight and I trashed the place. <laughs> I'm wow. kidding. Um, no, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good. been watching the playoffs though. NBA playoffs. There has been some thrilling basketball. Hey. The garden ain't so quiet now, Trey Young, eh? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, but also Ja Morant just like standing very tall against the Jazz. I liked uh, Donovan Mitchell's post-game interview about him where he just bigged him up straight away. That was cool. Anyway, this isn't an NBA podcast. No, no, no. I wonder if we can get on the NBA feed as well, because you know they've got real ones. Yeah. Where, where maybe we could contribute to the Ringer NBA feed by, you know, definitely not real ones. <laughs> shout, out, yeah, shout out to Logan Murdoch and <laughs> Roger Bell. 
excellent podcast. Should we upload an NBA podcast? Just to, Rogue. No, no, no. Do Ringer FC and just put it there. And then just like, yeah. and people like, oh, where's Stadio? And then just like put up the art and then just like, but never talk about it. Don't tweet about it. Don't comment about it. And then do, just Monday yeah, return just to normal. April Fool's Day next year, we should completely mix up. We'll write scripts for everyone and we'll just do Verno and KOC doing Stadio and just talking about football like it's normal. <laughs> yeah, we should. <laughs> and never comment on it again and everyone will be like oh what was that about and we're just like just don't talk about it just do Chris Ryan's death metal voice <laughs> we, can- we need to get that on Stadio <laughs> at one point we will do that at one point we will we will that is one of the great ringing moments that, that is amazing anyway sorry um, we're being ridiculous admin there are pieces going up this week final well, reviews of the seasons you did the Premier League I've done the Bundesliga did a La Liga one and you did La Liga one is due to go up it might be up by the time you listen to this and I'm doing Liga and Serie A. Shout out to L'Oreal. They get a big shout out. On Do my they? Liga. Yeah. The game of the season. Oh, L'Oreal yeah. PSG. Oh yeah. That was, that was an amazing game. Oh my God. Which game do you reckon I picked for La Liga? Because there were like three or four games that I could have picked. And I nearly, I actually wrote one paragraph about one game and then scrapped it and decided on another. Was a game involving Sevilla? It was. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, reassuring. I know you a little bit. Yeah. I went for the Real Madrid, Sevilla. The late one, the yeah. second one. Oh my God, the second, the, the 9 p.m. kickoff. Wow. But anyway, yeah, go to the ringer.com forward slash soccer, read our end of season reviews for the, the uh, top five European men's leagues. For the Radmin, Wrighty's house went up on Wednesday morning. Me and Wrighty chatted about the Provisional England squad and the Premier League final day, what it's like to work on it for match of the day. And some flowers with Lewandowski. Mm. We'll do another Wrighty's house next week. We hadn't planned to, but because the England squad was provisional and not final. We're going to do another one next week about the final squad. Maybe I'll rope you in for that as well. Yeah, yeah. Happy to help out. Happy to help out. Don't forget to check Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify and listen to all the tunes we play out on each episode in one handy playlist. And yeah, if you do listen to a podcast app that allows you to rate and review, please do so. It'd be very kind. And the most important admin of all is we hope you are all safe and well and uh, happy and getting vaccinated if you can. Had some lovely emails recently. Thanks to everyone who sent us emails. We've started, we started working our way back through them because um, they've, <laughs> they've been left for a little bit. But yeah, we really do appreciate people reaching out. And yeah, yeah. hang in there, everyone. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So before we get into the Europa League final, which is going to be the main thing we're going to talk about today, we're not going to really talk about much other stuff. There was the first leg in the Bundesliga relegation playoff, which watching live, I thought was absolutely amazing. And I watched it <laughs> this morning because I was up really oh, wow. early. Not as great. <laughs> Still fun, mm. but not as great. Holstein Kiel beating Cologne 1-0 in Cologne, which yeah. gives them a big advantage for the second leg. That's on Saturday before the Champions League final. So if, you look at, if you're looking for something to watch before the Champions League final, uh, give that a peep. Also this weekend in the, it's Leon PSG in the women's top flight in France. 
But yeah, some big games this weekend, apart from the Champions yeah. League final. A couple of Libertadores is going on as well. There was that amazing 6-2 last night. So much football. And Cruz, I saw on, uh, they're, they're later on tonight. Yeah, the League MX. So Thursday and Sunday, those yeah. games are. So we'll mention the, the League MX final on Monday as well, because we're going to make sure yeah. we watch that. But yeah, other than that, managerial exoduses. Is that the plural of exodus? Or is it exodi? It's probably exoduses, but let's just say exodi to annoy people. Existential exoduses. Yeah, exactly. People leaving jobs to feel something. Is it probably, is it Exodus? It is Exodus, right? Exodus, come on, you're the clever one. Whoa, where'd that come from? I'm not the clever one. <laughs> listen, listen, Mr. Mr. Oxford, multiple, that, multiple author. Isn't that all marketing though? It is all marketing because I've, <laughs> yeah. I've seen, I've seen beyond it. It's like- seen behind the veil. Yeah, exactly. The deleted scenes. It's like when you're a kid and you get a giant box in wrapping paper for Christmas and you open it up and the presents are tiny. Yeah, when you get a bag of crisps at the, uh, the cinema and you yeah, open it up and it's, it's a third full. Oh, no, it's normally, it's petrol stations. What is about bags of crisps at petrol stations? I've got a theory. It's because they know you'll be halfway down the motor by the time you realise it's empty. <laughs> it's not under the turn off for you, five miles. Because you never find those bags in a local <laughs> store. They're always on the services. Oh, wow. <laughs> There you go. Being, yeah. Once you get to know Musokwanga, it's like opening a bag of crisps that is only a third full. Here's, you know, you're all going to laugh at me hearing this, but when I launch my catfish crisps brand and make my first million and retire to a fishing village, you won't be laughing at me. I'll do it. I mean, we will, but we'll also be saying, you know, fair play. That's ridiculous, yeah, exactly. but fair play. <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> no, do you know what, Musa? Being friends with you and getting to know you is like opening a bag of crisps and there being so many crisps inside that they overflow. Oh. <laughs> Ryan, you're making me emotional. Flattery gets you everywhere. It's so easily. I mean, so the crisps easy. are dreadful, but they're still... <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's hopefully something in there that you'll like. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my career. Yes, there's lots of things here. A lot of it's dreadful, but there's hopefully something in here you'll yeah, like. This is giving me no vitamins. <laughs> but and if you don't like you've eaten so far, there's always more. <laughs> oh God. Where were we? Where were we? Uh, existential? We're being existential? Ex no. Yeah, Exodus. Managers, Exodus. Exodus. There we go. Manage right. Uh, Christophe Galtier announced he was leaving Lille. Yeah. That feels like a journey's end though, looking back in a way, the, the arc he's been on. I think that's a smart move, actually. I think a lot of managers could take a note out of that book. I think, you know, when you achieve something so great, like Lille's title. And the context of it, but to get him from like a point from relegation, as you said last time, yeah, to the league within four years. Yeah. And then bounce. You go down as a club legend, you can't do yeah. any more. You know, they're probably not going to win the Champions League next year. They're probably not going to win the league next year because it looks like that squad is already getting raided. Good time to bounce. You know what it is? You know what it is? It's big Frodo leaving the Shire energy. Big, big. You know, like Frodo leaving the realm of men when it's like, he looks around and all the hobbits are there and Frodo's like, we can't run it back. Firstly, because there's no more ring. But secondly, some of those orcs are definitely still out there. Frodo's like, you know, all the hobbits are going, ah, oh, Frodo, don't leave. And Frodo's like, we cannot top this. Once you've bowled through Minas Tirith and had Aragorn bow to you, you've got to bounce. This might be once, the nerdiest thing that anyone has ever said on a football podcast. It's ever. not though, is it? It's ever. not. You've pulled out the Lord of the Rings reference. Listen, if Ken Early can compare Mourinho to Lenin, <laughs> I was like a captain. It didn't. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was Neville. It was Neville. Oh, Neville, to Neville, Neville. It was Neville. Gary Neville to Gary Lennon. Gary Neville to Lennon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But um, yeah, so I just feel like there's something about the end of a journey, right? Knowing when it's your time to bounce. Mm -hmm. And you said it, you, you tweeted, didn't you? Three of the five title winning managers in the big five leagues. Yeah, one and bounced. So like Hansi Flick, who's been unveiled finally as the, the new manager of the German national side after the Euros. Yeah. I mean, that's been, I was chatting to Dembo about this and we were saying that's been, that's been on the cards for like eight years. Mm. Obviously, Antonio Conte has left Inter because, I mean, that, he's, he's done quite well out of that, actually, because it's mutual consent. He's got 7 million euros of his 13 million salary. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see where he goes next. Cezanne's obviously announced he's leaving Real Madrid again. On Conte, Conte has never been anywhere more than three years, I don't think. No, On Conte sounds like a Chomsky book. A philosophical discourse, yes. Notes notes on Conte. Do you know what? I should write that. The Coucher Whisperer, notes on Conte. Every single piece I do for the rigor, I just want to call it on something. You should. Obviously, this is to do with Inter probably having to shift a lot of the players this year. Although, I think there's an interesting thing with Inter because they've got a lot of vets there. Yeah. Who I don't think are being paid a huge amount of money, but I think you could probably clear quite a lot of financial space with. Looking at the vets' appearances, they're fairly low down. Like the core of the um, yeah, the role playing into team was, was fairly young. Mm. There are opportunities for Inter, I think, to save some money, but it's whether they actually need to bring in funds as opposed to just save money. Mm. So I don't think that really aligned with what Conte wanted to do. And again, another thing like Braum, the first title in over a decade, bounced. Done. Yeah, yeah. With the Zidane stuff, before we move on, because obviously we'll talk about the managerial stuff a little bit more when it rolls yeah. out, because it's all very, very breaking. But yeah. with Zidane, it's, it's a strange one, because it kind of feels completely expected. Yes. This year is the first time they haven't won a trophy in 11 years. Weirdly, in context, maybe one of the best pieces of coaching he's done. To keep them competitive mm. in two big campaigns, given how many absentees they had through injury and other, and other illnesses, I think actually he might look back and be like, I really maximised what I had at my disposal. Yeah, you're a big fan of what he's done this year, haven't you? You've referenced, you've brought it up a few times. I've just, yeah, just looking at it going, I, I look at a lot of those rail performances where they've fallen short and I've thought to myself, there's nothing more Zidane can actually do with what he has. Mm. That makes sense. I think he's coached really well this year. Yeah, and I also think that there's that, that Real Madrid squad is like just really, it's quite all over the place. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I've always thought he'd make quite a good international manager. To be honest, I think Real Madrid is as close to being an international manager whilst being a yeah, club, probably, whilst yeah. still being a club manager. Yeah. I would say Real and Bayern are the closest to being an international manager while still managing a club because of the, the thing that like, what the international managers have to deal with, a fairly fixed playing staff, mm -hmm. a very, very bureaucratic management over your head, which is very vocal and very corporate and maybe a diminished credit for what you do because everyone expects the steamroller just to proceed. So the transition for Flick and Zidane to international jobs, I think is not that dramatic, mm. funnily enough. And also because there wasn't enough managerial stuff to talk about. <laughs> Jack Pitbrook from The Athletic reported this morning that Tottenham Hotspur in talks with Maurizio Pochettino over a return to North London. And apparently both parties won it. There is maybe a phase a couple of, a few clubs went through. It was like, new is better, new is better, but it wasn't. And I felt like with Poch, it was like, you know, this is the thing with that Atletico Madrid have got so right. The fact that Simeone is so well paid, it's really understanding that the manager, it's almost like a throwback to the Capello days where Capello would ask to be paid more than the highest paid player. Mm. It's like that where you've got a revolving cast, but if you value the person at the top, that person can bring out all the talent there is in the squad and more. And I think maybe 
hopefully Levy at some level has recognized. And we said this before about Levy. Like Levy is, he can be like a stubborn person, but he does, you know, in his own way, care about the club. It's not like some of these other coaches or own, it's not these other chairman where you look at them and go, you don't really care about the club as like a priority. Like someone like him is very much having his own mind on things. If they do bring Poch back, I kind of applaud him for the flexibility of like, I might've got this wrong. I do kind of rate that. You know what? Just plays more into my theory that he sacked him for the doc. Oh my goodness. That's the equivalent of doing it for the gram, isn't it? Doing it for the gram. Yeah, sacked it for the documentary. All right, man. The Europa League final. Villarreal being Manchester United on penalty kicks after a one-all draw that went all the way through extra time. And 21 penalties. Yeah. The game decided by a save penalty from David De Gea. After Geronimo had Geronimo'd it in as well. That was a, he scored a glorious, glorious penalty. The thing about this was, I tweeted afterwards, I was like, all the cruel outcomes, it was the least cruel, only because people don't really expect goalkeepers to score from the spot. Even though they've got better at it, they don't really, of all the players that go through, you're like, well, they're the least likely to maybe score. Um, the game itself, so the headline really is Unai Murray gets his fourth Europa League. In five goes. Five finals, four wins. Extraordinary. So four out of four coaching Spanish, Spanish sides. Villarreal, as Sidlo tweeted this morning, they are the smallest town to win a European trophy, which I absolutely Unbelievable. love. And that's the first it. ever European trophy. Well, major European trophy. They had two Intertoto Cups in the early 2000s, but this is the first actual proper in their first European final as well. And former, what I love about it, former uh, Villarreal players, so Marco Senna was there, Bruno Soriano was there, and um, Santi Cathola was there. And I love it because they were people that obviously, uh, in Cathola's case, got them to, well, got help get them into the Europa League yeah. last year before he left. It felt like, like, you know, having the kind of the old boys back, it felt like, like um, you know, when NASA like got someone on the moon, it was like inviting back all the old engineers who'd like done some of the original calculations and being like, yeah, yeah, we've got someone to the moon. You were here 10 years ago, but without you, we couldn't have done it. And it felt very... I don't know, it was quite beautiful, like mm-hmm. the culmination of a, of a journey for Villarreal because obviously they got to that semi in 06, the Champions League final. Yeah, and they very nearly went to the Champions League final. Right, right, against Arsenal. Was it Raquel May? Um, penalty miss. Penalty, penalty saved by Lehman, was it? And so Villarreal have been punching above their weight. I don't say that disrespectful. I mean, it's a really beautiful thing that they won. And they came out and what was amazing about their performance against United was that it was all the things they've been doing so well this year. So Gerard Moreno scored the opener. One and, of the low-key best Spanish players this season in La Liga. Right. And Villarreal's ability to compress space and reduce tempo. Was, I mean, this was, this was actually super impressive, super, I think, from a tactical yeah. point of view. Oh, absolutely. It was like flicking, yeah, it was like flicking yeah. a switch. Yeah. Jonathan Lou wrote a really great piece in The Guardian about it. I can't remember the, the player that he, he mentioned, but he, <laughs> he would say that whenever basically Villarreal they switched back into their two banks of four. It might have even been Scott McTominay found himself in between two yellow lines like a man in a cheese sandwich or something. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. A toasty. Yeah. Well, it was, it was funny because um, watching Villarreal, it felt like one of those vintage mid-late 90s Serie A teams where they go a goal up away from home and you're done. Is that you're because done. Carlos Backer was playing and he looks <laughs> like he's been playing in Serie A since 1996? So does Raul Albiol, to be honest. That <laughs> Raul Albiol's been off, on a journey, man. Sent off in the tent in the, the first of the four classicos. And I was like, this yeah. man's been around for time. Yeah, he did, did that time. stint at Napoli, didn't he, as well? Incredible. So 
Villarreal were, were brilliant in terms of the discipline in the organisation and their only real mistake was conceding um, after the ricochet in the area to Cavani, who was, I think, United's outstanding player. McTominay got a lot of props, but I thought Cavani forced the issue and had very little to work with. United really couldn't get going. And the thing about this was, Ryan, that the ball movement was slow. Mm-hmm. The ball movement was slow and the movement of the players was not coordinated. I wrote this to um, uh, Wapaya, Wapaya, a friend of the podcast, yeah, superb writer. I wrote to him last night and I said, it feels like sometimes watching Bruno Fernandes in certain games, he improvises endlessly. That is a strength and a weakness because the thing about the improvisation, the endless improvisation is I don't always see orchestration. Now, some will not like me drawing comparisons with Manchester City, but I think this is the thing. When you're trying to play against a team like Villarreal, there is no killer pass available, Ryan. There isn't a killer pass. You keep trying to play the killer pass. It doesn't exist yet because the gaps don't exist and the moves don't exist. You have to deconstruct the defence. You have to prize it apart. You have to shift the play. And there, was n- there were not enough passages of orchestrated possession by United in the final third where they pulled them apart. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. You know, you said how like there are certain teams that have got like a set goal, a stock mm-hmm. goal. Arsenal had one for a while. City have got one. United, it was such hard work. It was like watching... Watching Villarreal and Manchester United, it's like watching those tennis matches where Villarreal, let's say, is the team that like holds serve, you know, to love. And United keep going to deuce and manage to like pull equal. So United's equaliser felt like such hard work. I thought the 10 minutes after the equaliser were the key point in the game though. Because it was more broken, wasn't it? And I think because Villarreal didn't come with a plan for more than one or two goals. Villarreal looked more out of sorts after the Man United equaliser for about 10 minutes than they did at any other point during the 120. And I think that Solskjaer made a big mistake here in terms of not going for it with substitutes then. I think if he'd made a couple of key substitutions just after Manchester United equalised, Villarreal were there for the taking, actually, for that period just after the goal. But once that didn't happen, the lack of substitutions was really curious because it was kind of like, why are you not doing this now? Why are you not doing this now? And the later it went and the later it went, there was a real, I don't know, I I don't want to do the whole like body language stuff, but Solskjaer sat down. It was just a bit like, you're not communicating the urgency to go and win this game to the players. Which is ironic because he is somebody who was most effective in the last 20 in terms of understanding and coming into a flow of a game. Isn't Isn't it funny how the master super sub, maybe one of the greatest super subs of all time, maybe the greatest super sub of all time, couldn't make his own super subs. Mm. But I think something else happens, right? Something else happens when you're managing a game. It's about feeling the flow. Now, Villarreal players, I think the managers were, I'm not saying that they were complacent. I think they were like, we're in the hope, we're in the final stretch now. We're anticipating victory. I'm not saying they took it for granted. I'm saying that they were like, okay, we're managing the last 25 minutes of this game. We're going to win. We're going to close it out. And I think that the equalizer was such a sucker punch mm. that it almost like spiritually kind of winded them. Like as, as you say, you could see the dust kind of settling. Now, that's the thing that Sir Alex Ferguson said. It was his interview with Gary Neville recently about risk, he says. You know, when it's late and you go for it, you go for it. And there's some games that, that we lose, but he says it's about risk. And I think that what happened was Solskjaer is aware of the need to gamble, right? He knows that because his bench actually have like Amadiello as their van der Beek. He's got some attacking options. But I think what happens is I think he blinked crucially because ultimately was Europa League final. Mm-hmm. It's a big European final. And I think, I think there's a bit where you kind of um, not freeze, but you second guess yourself. And I think, it is that, I think it's that simple sometimes. I think you second guess yourself. I think there's so much going on where you're like, 
do I, don't I, do I, don't I? Because he didn't make the subs. Mm. But that's not to say that there wasn't a, a process of a kind of like a mental gridlock where he was like, do I, don't I, do I, don't I? Yeah, but the thing is that the, the sub that Villarreal made when they brought off Carlos Bacca and brought on Francis Coquelin five minutes after the equaliser, that was the bling. It was an invitation, yeah. Manchester United really could have gone for it then because I thought Marcus Rashford and Mason Greenwood looked kind of knackered. Yeah. Understandably, because they've played a lot of football this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Rashford with injuries. Rashford's not fully Rash- fit either. Yeah, Rashford's been nursing, a, you know, managing an injury for a hell of a long time now. With Amadiallo on the bench, Donny van der Beek. I think if He's you brought Donny brilliant. van der Beek on and had Scott McTominay sat in the base of that midfield with Pogba and van der Beek either side of him, Diallo on the pitch as well, for the final half an hour, I think you could have caused real, real problems. Yeah, go out and run riot. Just basically say, go out and just make it happen. Go yeah. out and experiment. Go for it. Run at them. Because yeah. because VRL, even though they had a, you know they didn't have many, uh, they didn't have that fewer shots than Manchester United. They only had one shot on target the entire game, and that was the goal. So they weren't exactly peppering De Gea with with real troubling attempts. So I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I just think it was a bit. It was just a bit like. I think we've said this before with Solskjaer where he's doing a good job, but there are better coaches out there. It's a weird, I actually think Manchester United, they're probably in the most curious scenario of a club of that size. Well, actually maybe apart from maybe Barcelona, but I think Koeman's got more of the resume to warrant, as strange as that appointment still is, Mm. I think he's got more, more of a resume to kind of justify it. Much more, much more. Yeah, much more. But with Solskjaer and Manchester United, it's really strange because like we've said before, like I don't think he's doing that bad a job, but you see it in these little moments here and there, which could, could be huge. But we've said this, haven't we? We've always said it's the margin, 15, the 15%. The 15%. And Jonathan Liu wrote a really good thing about this where it's in, in his piece where it was like, they're aside for big moments that never win the big moments, which I thought was just like an amazing summation of it. Exactly right. And he's nailed that. That's exactly like, what this Remember is. when yeah. Wright, I, and I backed Wright a little bit, so when Wright was talking about the vibes thing earlier on in the season, mm. I know it made for like a very, very nice little quote to put on Twitter and make, and for loads of people to have loads of banter about, but I kind of got where he was coming from because, and I back, I mentioned it on Wright's house a few weeks ago when I said like, you know, with the Arteta thing, and this isn't an Arteta thing, but I, I'm using a, a, a coach that's that much of a control freak, let's say. I think, yeah, it was when me, Carl and Wrighty were on. And I was saying that actually, I think with the pieces that Manchester United had and what and the, the intensity that I think Arteta wants to drill people into doing these patterns, I think it would work more with those players. So there is, a, there is an argument there for it. But also the thing that we've praised Solskjaer for was the ability to um, evolve and not have this set idea, kind of like ready, steady, cook it. See what the ingredients are, decide what you want to do with that squad based on what you've had, what you have. Yes. But you notice it in very small situations like this. And I honestly think that there was a little bit of complacency here. You saw it throughout the whole media coverage of it in the UK, which... There's a little bit of a parallel with the Women's Champions League, actually. Yeah. I mean, we, we were, we were, we sided with Chelsea in the head of the final, but I think it was more of a, I think our reasons were more solid. Our reasons were the matchups, given yeah. that Chelsea loved playing against back fours yeah, with the we, movement of and Kirby. We, and we and really Kerr. thought that Chelsea yeah. had more potential ways to hurt Barcelona, which I still think is true. But I think that we weren't accounting for just how much that they would miss having established right back, uh, right back and left back in the, yeah, in the side. Yeah, yeah. And they just got torched. 
Um, we've covered this but anyway, it's, but it's, still, yeah, I think but it's, this diff- is, it's different from it's different from patronising. It's different from comments like, "Oh, they should be hammered. Pun- they should be hammered because puns, they're yeah, they finished here and, and yeah, well, Villarreal have been legit in the Europa League, and La Liga is not a clown league. Yeah, um, we, but also the, you're, you're judging like league position on the season that we've just had, and also like someone said, was it was it the thing about sp- Spanish teams um, have won every final, obviously including all Spanish finals. They've won every European final they've been in for the last 25 years. Yeah, mad. Yeah, and it's a, it's a big game mentality. Like, that, what that means is you've got Spanish players, like former Spanish players, talking to clubs. They played that before going, this is how to manage big game situations. Mm-hmm. You have Unai Emery turning up at the start of that game, having been through the whole process of winning and losing finals, being like, a final is a thing to play in stages. You've got your first 15, you play a certain way. Your next 20, you're aggressive. Then you conserve, then you roll it out, then you close. It's, it's like, a, like one matter at the end. It's so interesting. It was very poignant <clears throat> watching one matter collect his loser's medal. Mm. So a lot of United players took the loser's medals, took them off straight away or didn't put them on yeah, at all. Yeah, I mean, most people. When one matter has won almost everything in football, and I was thinking to myself, you of all people understand exactly what this stage is about. You, mm. It was quite poignant just seeing him as the last person to come up and down because I'm like, one matter of anyone in the United team, and Popper as well, of course, understands moments and game management. And the thing that frustrated me was the media coverage as if Villarreal didn't know how to manage a final like this. I think, I think this, was, is a, this, yeah. this was a prime example. And I know that it was ultimately won on a penalty kick from a goalkeeper. That's mm. how small the margin was. But I still think that even if Manchester United had won the penalty shootout, we still could have been talking about this in the same way because I think what you saw here was a team in Villarreal who absolutely maximised. Yes, I knew. I got yeah, Maximised yeah. their ability and what they had and their strengths with a plan, and became became stronger than the sum of their parts because of that plan. Yes, and what I think you saw with Man United was a side that expected to just kind of roll them over and it didn't happen and you know you, you look at the substitutions for example the Juan Mata for Aaron Wan-Bissaka thing I know that was done right at the end for penalties but that's that's a substitution that shouldn't should have been made as soon as Villarreal took off Carlos Baca I genuinely think if you look at the substitutions and when he made them Unai Emery would, would probably be looking across at the opposition bench and be like I cannot believe I'm getting away with this Yeah, I've made five substitutions here and there has been zero response to them you know, it's funny. This is what you say. You know, when you watch, we mentioned basketball earlier. In basketball, they say that you know, the best coaches are the ones that make adjustments. They're, they always say, make adjustments because in basketball, obviously, you can sub players on and off. But I think there is a parallel here with the flow of a game and allowing a game to dictate to you. And this is the thing with Solskjaer that's happened. It's, it's been a thing that's happened quite a lot, actually. We've seen him set up well tactically and he does interesting things tactically from game to game. But his, it keeps coming back to the, the in-game management is the thing that separates. And we've said this before. It's, the in, it, it's such a small margin, right? But it separates, how do I say this? It's a small but consistent margin. It's what separates a Johan Blake from a Usain Bolt. And it's so small. You know, here's the thing. It's so small that it's actually almost cruel because you're constantly reaching for it. But it's like, Guardiola and Klopp and at his best Simeone when Simeone's feeling it you know when he allows himself to kind of be 
Mourinho had it, obviously, so Alex Ferguson had it, who was in the crowd. It'd be fascinating the conversations that they have, I'm sure, because they get on well. It'd be fascinating in the off-season, because I'm, I'm sure those two will have a conversation about ongoing stuff, just to be about, ah, oh, Sir Alex, like, this final. And it'll be like, you know, like, everyone has one like that. Every, every manager can probably point to a massive game where they didn't quite call it, if that makes sense. They didn't quite get that that thing right. If I was a Manchester United fan, the thing I find really disappointing that in the post-match press conference, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is talking about how they need two or three signings. This isn't the one because you had, you've like had enough. Under the bus. Like, yeah. I really, really fear for players like Donny van der Beek here because Donny van der Beek absolutely bossed the Champions League a couple of years ago in yeah, a yeah. really, really fun Ajax squad, instrumental in tearing Real Madrid apart. He was outstanding, yeah. You know, yeah. That, and, and Juve on that run. I cannot understand, unless there's a fitness issue, why he hasn't featured in a Europa League final against a team like Real. It makes me a bit angry, to be honest. You know, because it is mismanagement. It's a wasted transfer. It is a wasted transfer. And I get, I get frustrated because I see a lot of people, a lot of um, United fans going, oh, maybe he's not all that, has he got the mentality? I'm like, he bossed it in the Bernabeu. I don't care. What there he's comes good. a point where people, people talk about this. And I'm like, you know, you get people talking about Rakitic and like, Rakitic doesn't have to talk to anyone about mentality. Van der Beek doesn't. He's done bigger things. And I actually, I, there's a few times on Twitter I had to hold myself back and just be like, this man's done bigger things on bigger stages. He's played in higher profile games than United in the last couple of games, in the last couple of years. And he's run the show, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's a thing he can say on his CV. I think what frustrates me at Van der Beek in his case is that now people look at him at United as representative of his true self. And it's not, it's nope. really not who he is. Like Renato Sanchez at Lille is now closer to Renato Sanchez at Benfica. Sometimes a transfer just goes wrong and it makes me angry because he will go somewhere hopefully and make a, you know, revitalize his career, but he's lost vital momentum. Mm-hmm. He should be on the path now to being regarded as one of the best midfielders of his generation. He should be. And he's been mismanaged. So yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I don't like it when people come out and say stuff like that after games. I think if you're a manager and you've lost, you take the L. Manchester United's midfield problems are very easily solvable. If you get an elite deep line midfielder yeah. with Paul say Pogba it. and yeah. Donny van der Beek either side, yeah. you're away. That push them higher. That midfield transformed, higher, yeah. yeah. Or, or yeah. I mean, obviously you've got Bruno Fernandes to put, kind of fit in there as well. I actually think for all of his strengths, he can create a bit of a tactical problem for Manchester United sometimes. It's one of those when it's like, when it's good, it's great. Do you know it could be a problem with United? This is the real, people won't like like me for saying this. There is a problem sometimes when you're, we said this before, like if you can remove your best player and the team becomes more fluid, there's a danger sometimes. It happened with Zlatan Ibrahimovic when your best player and things have to kind of go through you or the system has to navigate you where it's a challenge for teams. Your best player isn't your most cohesive mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And that worries me a bit because I, I personally believe Pogba plays too deep for United. Because he same has to, because he's playing the system Juan, that relies on yeah. like two deep line midfielders. The same way that Juan Veron played too deep for United. Yeah. Um, and couldn't get like in the final third more often. Paul Pogba needs to be in the final third as often as possible. And, and, he, and you know, if he was in a different team, a different setup, he would be. So yeah, it's a, cha- it's a challenge, but you're right. That problem is easily solved. But I, ju- I just feel like post, it, I, feel, I feel bad criticising people in the aftermath of a defeat. At the same time, I feel like- but who, are you, who are we criticising here? We're only really criti- criticising the coach of an elite football club. 
Yeah, when Solskjaer come, came out and said that, I almost feel like, you know what, just, just take the loss, be gracious and bounce because you've got a dressing room full of players despondent who've given everything. And actually, to be honest with Solskjaer, one of his real skills this year has been man management and kind of not putting players out to dry. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this was maybe a misstep that I didn't expect from him. But I think it goes to show the pressure. It goes to show how much it mattered to win that thing, to win that trophy. And at times like that, it's difficult to kind of front up and say, it was on me. Because they have the tools. You have to have the tools to win that game. Yeah, for sure. I have the tools to win it. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about VRL because like we said, I think these are two approaches that were complete opposites in terms of players at their disposal and game plan. And yet, like we said, it all did come down to ultimately a goalkeeper missing a penalty. Yeah. But they got themselves to that point to give themselves the chance of doing it. And I think that after, like, you know, I was at the um, Valencia Arsenal second leg at Mastaya a couple of years ago in the Europa League. And even though Unai Emery isn't the most popular man at Valencia because of his departure to Sevilla that time. Yeah. But you can still tell that he's held in pretty high regard by people at the club there because like in terms of the fan base, he's not too popular, but but people within the club, he's, he's held in very high regard. Like I was, I was kind of in the press room afterwards and I came out just after he'd done his press conference. He was chatting to a load of Valencia officials and you could just, Obviously, I couldn't understand what they were, they were, talk, like they were saying because they were speaking Spanish, but you know when you can just get the warmth there? Yeah. yeah like there yeah. was a real warmth between these people. He's obviously held in extremely high regard at Sevilla because of the uh, three Europa Leagues. And now he's done that at Villarreal. I'm really, really pleased for him. And I genuinely mean that because I didn't like a lot of the stuff that, was, that went around about him at Arsenal. That went around. Even after he won last night, there were a lot of those tweets. I just didn't like it. I didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah, like yeah. the, I didn't, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm really not a fan of the good evening thing. That I much. hate it. I, I wasn't going to say it, but I, I hate that stuff. I really hate that stuff. I think. Because what are we the, laughing at here? Someone's second language. I know. They, also, they speak better than most people's first. I know, yeah. I know, I know. But I think also maybe it might be the fact that he just says good evening. You know, fair enough. I get that. But also he made some extremely brave decisions when he was at Arsenal. Like doing the first press conference in English was so brave. And I thought, yeah, in hindsight, he probably would have benefited from what Bielsa did or Poch did in his first season at Southampton and actually just go through a translator. Build, yeah. Almost like to build a bit of a buffer around himself. I think he left himself very exposed. But it was because he wanted to, like I saw him say, he wanted to, he wanted to try and communicate with the fans as much as possible in English and yeah his English isn't great and you've seen how how much better he has done in Spain with fewer resources really I mean yeah he had an amazing partnership with Monchi at Sevilla and they bought and sold extremely well but they they couldn't go out and buy like spend 50-60 million on players every summer there right. like Arsenal did and they definitely can't do that at Villarreal it's just a really, really great story for him and the club after that Arsenal sacking because when your trajectory goes Sevilla, PSG, you do okay at PSG, you don't win the league to that Monaco side and it's classed as a catastrophic failure. But Which now you now know, looking now back, it wasn't. But it, it, I mean... You look at like you look at the it PS, was, it look was and it wasn't. I mean that Monaco side was amazing, but now exactly. but now you've seen what's happened with the league, and you're a bit like, yeah. hmm, 
okay, maybe it's not as catastrophic. Maybe that was like, a precursor. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think history will be kinder to him at at PSG. Maybe apart from like the Barcelona collapse, mm. but still, then going to Arsenal, being the I think <laughs> being the first man at a club after a legacy manager is an extremely tricky gig. Yeah, you kind of want to be the one after the one after. Yes, obviously he really struggled at Arsenal and there were there was <laughs> there were some times when Arsenal looked amazing there were some times where Arsenal looked dreadful I really think that there was probably a communication I think communication issues at Arsenal were probably the, the thing that led to all of the other factors for any Arsenal fans listening by the way this isn't me for one second saying that he should still be Arsenal manager it's just one of those things that doesn't work out yeah so then move to VRL I think a lot of people saw that as a kind of like you know when was it Hodge, when Hodgson went to West Brom after Liverpool yeah, that's no disrespect to West Brom at all, but you know when people make those kind of moves and people are like, mm, okay, their time at this level for that magnitude of cl- in terms of in terms of the global size of the club, the global reach of the club, yeah, right. In terms of actual sporting level, VRL are blowing Arsenal out of the water at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if they'd qualified for Europe anyway with the Conference League, if they'd lost the final, they would have been in the Conference League anyway. They've now won their first major European final and got into the Champions League next season, Unai Emery has taken Villarreal back into, the, like, back into the Champions League for the first time in ages. Like, it's an amazing story for a club that has so many unbelievable players there in terms of like, off the radar players. Like, like, like I say, Gerard Moreno has been one of the low key, he, he was in a shout for player of the season this season in La Liga. I think yeah. ultimately, kind of like the Lewandowski thing in, in the Bundesliga, Messi has been that good this season. Yeah, he's so far. That you above, just yeah, can't, yeah. you can't award it to. You can't right, really right. award it to anyone else. But like, Moreno, Danny Pereira has been amazing. Like, I'm just really happy for him. <laughs> like, I, I like I tweeted after Danny Pereira's penalty. I was just like, I just I love Danny Pereira. Like, I love. The him. thing is, as well, yeah. I think people were writing to me and commiserating him, but I was like, well, I can't think of a better team to lose to. Like, it was kind of like a. Uh, sorry to it interrupt. Makes, but it was yeah, kind of like yeah. one of those like no one wants to lose a final. But having yeah. already secured Champions League qualification from the league, right? People want to win trophies. But I think having won a UEFA, uh, Europa, sorry, UEFA Cup, Euro- Europa League, so recently for Manchester United, it's one of those things where it's like you're already in the Champions League, so the the, the stakes aren't as high. You've already run a, won a Europa League recently. A lot of that squad were in that squad. Yeah, and it's kind of like. <sighs> If you are going to lose one, I know no one wants to lose a final, so a load of people are just be like, what are you talking about, right? But I think if you are going to lose one, it's not a bad time to lose a European final when... But also you're, you're losing to Villarreal. Like, you're not losing... Some, on oh. penalties. I mean... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they're not clowns. Well, no team in a major final is a clown, frankly. But also, like, this isn't a victory that, will hurt, that hurts so much because you see what it gives the victors and you see what the victors have done, how they've run it. And there's a lot of players in that squad who've kind of been their own journey like someone like Capoue who's kind of been mm. around and he's been very good at quite a few clubs and hasn't really had his moment a lot of these people and this is the thing about a trophy a trophy is a moment right yeah and like Raul Albiol can, who went to Napoli and missed all of that Real Madrid run yeah right you know, this is yeah like, he's gutted yeah so you miss out on, on the party so it's like let people have their moment you know and I'm really happy for Emery I'm like in the same way I'm happy for Lopetegui Lopetegui had his moment in the Europa League yeah when people thought he was he was dusted came back got the Europa League severe top four it's just really really nice to see managers who people who people have written off have their sort of redemptive arc 
I mean, redemptive is wrong because they've not done anything wrong, but like their return or their resurgence, it's nice to see. And the amazing thing is as well, we said this season that actually La Liga was in a bit of trouble because of the overall quality drop-off, I think, amongst the big two. The big two, yeah, yeah. But I think what's happened is, like we've said, is that that mid, below that, below the top three, everyone has improved so much. Like even if you, you know, like Imanol was in a shout for manager of the year for me in Spain. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Finishing fifth. Celebration of the year. Finishing, Ah, ah. Finishing fifth and winning the Copa del Rey, albeit the 2020 Copa del Rey, but happening this year. Like that is some season for Real Sociedad. You know, Incredible. Yeah. Pellegrini. Pellegrini is another one that's in a very similar, even though he won the league at Man City, for example, like, and he struggled at West Ham, but like, Betis were in the bottom half of the table last season and they finished fifth, uh, they finished sixth this year. Like, they have, he has transformed Betis. This is why I'm obsessed with the managers who have incredible seasons that you wouldn't think were their best seasons. I would love to ask, like, managers at a certain point and be like, what was the best season of your career that most people think was a bad season mm. where you were like, from the outside, it looked terrible, but I knew with all the things going on with players personally, with the fitness, the psychological stuff, I coached the lights out. I'd love to see that because someone like a Pellegrini would, would, would factor into that. Well, it's why, it's why I actually praise Scott Parker quite a bit in my Premier League review, mm. because I know that Fulham fell off for a bit, but there was a period where in the mid-section season, Scott Parker was absolutely bossing it. Mm. What I mean by that is that I think it's amazing that, that there are going to be five Spanish clubs in the Champions League next season because... Wonderful, yeah. For a season where I think La Liga has, in terms of its dominance overall or its status, quality-wise, is the best league for, in the world, I think has dropped off. Yeah. At yeah. the very, very top level. I've said this before, but I think that underneath that, the level has improved really good. And I think you've actually yeah. seen that. If you look at it, I think you've seen that across a lot of European leagues. You've seen it in France. You've seen it in Germany, I think. And I think you've seen it in... Oh, Serie definitely seen it well. in Germany. My God. Like, yeah, yeah. And I think I think this is a great thing. If you, look where Stuttgart, if you look where Stuttgart ended up in Bundesliga, yeah. you wouldn't believe how good a season they've had. Yeah, but considering, also, like, like yeah, I wrote yeah. in the Bundesliga piece, like Christian Strikers is just completely normal. Like, like no one talks about Freiburg's like Freiburg even being in the league still for a club their size and the fact that they just casually finish in 10th and everyone's like oh yeah I'm not sure about Freiburg this season maybe they should have done better it's like dude like Freiburg Freiburg. this massively whimsical long-winded rant what I'm trying to say is I think it's great for the league that they've got so many teams in Europe's top top, Europe's top competition next season especially after a season where it looked like they well, I mean, you saw in the Champions League, for example, that um, the top teams really struggled. You know what slightly saddens me then about this? This is what saddens me, right? The fact that the middles of these leagues are getting really, really strong just at a time when the Europa League is changing what wasn't, was basically fixing something that wasn't that broken. I felt the Europa League had one round too many. I will always believe that. I always believe it had one round too many. And still the parachuting of teams I in from yeah, is a dreadful yeah. idea. It's one of the worst. I think it's genuinely one of the worst ideas I think I've ever seen in football. Because it debases everyone. Yep. It debases and degrades the tournament. But they removed that parachuting and removed a round. Which they won't. Which they won't. And now to go into the European Conference League, it would almost like, it frustrates me, Ryan, because that feels like to me already, it feels like too much football. And I feel like you'll lose the intensity of what actually will be one of the best contested contests in a, in a long time, given the quality of the clubs in there. But anyway, that's my little rant. I mean, is there anything else to add? Do you think we've done it justice? I think so. But just want to say, I, my headline for this is, what I want to say really is, shout out to Villarreal. That's a wonderful, wonderful victory. And I hope they all thoroughly enjoy it. Me too. Me too. And um, 
Yeah, commiserations to Man United fans as well. But like I say, you know, it's at least next season's Champions League was secured beforehand. So soften the blow, maybe. I reckon we're good, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think we're good. Yeah, yeah. We're done. Uh, let's bounce. Yeah, we hope everyone's staying safe and well. Don't forget to check Stadio Outro's playlist on Spotify. And uh, anything else you want to add, Musa? No, I'm good. You good? Really good. Lovely. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving good. this lack of narrative. <laughs> I'm sending this one out to Villarreal. We're playing out on Rich Labonte, bright yellow star. We'll be back on Monday talking Champions League final and Liga MX, and maybe a couple of other bits as well. So have a lovely weekend, everyone. Much love, and we'll see you then. Take care. Ooh.